This is our big one. This is, this is the one that we've been building to for a while now. It's the first of two casts where we're going to examine the history of Marvel Comics on film. This is, for me, something that I've been really looking forward to because I am both a massive film geek and a massive comic book geek. So, let's smash them together like two trains and see what happens. Like the Hulk smashing two trains together. Yes. Good analogy. I, I think the best reason to start off this cast is to explain, okay, why do, why do this cast? And the answer is simple. As of right now, and I just checked the figures at Box Office Mojo, uh, Marvel Comics is on track to have the second year in a row where they have the biggest film in the world. Yeah, right now Iron Man 3 is out in front big time. That's pretty amazing. Has a chance at being dethroned na uh, domestically, I think, but internationally, it's it's pretty much got its course set. There's about a 300 million gap between the number one and number two films. So, Marvel has become a tremendous powerhouse. The thing about it was it didn't start that way. And so I thought it'd be fun to go back and study their history from the word go. St start from the beginning. So we're going to cover pretty much everything. Yeah. Not everything in depth. Some movies we're just going to give a passing reference to. But I want to give a full study. And we're doing this cast in two halves. It has to be. It has to be. Especially because something happened in 2008 that changed everything. So, we're, we're going to stop in 2007. Let's, let's begin with a little bit of prehistory. How much do you know about, like, the struggles Marvel had to try and get on the big screen? Um, not entirely too much. Um, I know that, like, DC has had a run, like, from the 70s, you know, with their Superman films. And, of course, Batman. And I know that Marvel tried to get in in the 90s. Yes. There was that horrible Captain America movie. The Red Skull is only the Red Skull for, like, maybe 5% of the film. Yeah. Yeah, he's uh, he's healed for much of the film. What's really stupid about that movie is that the Red Skull design that they had looked great. As bad as that movie is, the Red Skull actually looks fine. It's just not that way for most of it. No. Um, let's see. There was the Punisher movie uh, from, uh. from 1989 where the one detail that didn't cost them anything to get right, the skull on the shirt isn't in the movie. Oh, that's lame. Yes. They didn't even bother to put him in his costume. How can you? How can you? Yeah, I, I I don't know. There was the uh there was also a Fantastic Four movie that was literally only made so that the filmmakers didn't lose the rights and could sell them to a bigger studio later on down the line. Jeez. Mm, My understanding is that film is essentially lost. Yeah, there's yeah. No way to get at it. That is true. But I mean that's how bad things were. They they did have a few properties come to TV. Mm -hmm. There was the regrettable 1990, or not 1990, it was a 1970s Spider-Man show uh, with no supervillains, really. Was it, was it the live-action show? Yeah. Yeah, I've seen clips from that. It's awful. It's, it's, it's terrible. Uh, the costume looks like crap. There is the Incredible Hulk show, which is legitimately beloved. Um, 
and which, you know, to their credit, did get it pretty right. Hey, Lou Ferrigno still voices the Hulk. Puny God. Yep. Yeah, Lou Ferrigno, uh, for those who are unaware, has voiced the Hulk twice in movies that we'll be dealing with on the next cast. Yeah, he uh, he's the voice of the Hulk in the Marvel Cinematic Universe. Epic, as he should be. Yeah. So, you know, the there were all these attempts. There was the Doctor Strange TV movie, which I have yet to see, but which actually sounds pretty true to the comics. Sounds like they got it right to some degree. There was also the TV movies. They did a series of Incredible Hulk TV movies where um, he would team up with other Marvel heroes. Have you seen what Thor looks like in the, in the TV movie they did for him? Actually, I think I have, and it's pretty laughable. <laughs> it, it is. It is. He's wearing furs. <laughs> he looks silly. Again, I don't want to get too ahead of myself because that's the next cast, but, I mean, the Thor in the movies, they d took the costume literally straight out of the comics. See, the point of adapting is to adapt. I mean, also, the Daredevil uh, costume that they used in uh, his TV movie was pretty damn ridiculous. Huh. He, uh, it was black, for the record. Hmm. No. No. Probably Marvel's biggest problem that they had was that they couldn't get anything into theaters. They tried so hard to get a Spider-Man movie off the ground. They sold the rights to the canon group. And here's the kicker. They bought the rights thinking it was a horror movie. <laughs> yeah, they bought the rights to Spider-Man thinking it was a horror movie about a man who transforms into a spider. God, the, the Italian Spider-Man shorts on YouTube are more of a horror movie. Come on. It's it's amazing. It's it's amazing. So the 1990s sucked for Marvel. I should note that there was a 1986 movie based on a Marvel comic, but we've already covered that. Uh, go go look it up. Lost tapes. Howard the Duck. We've already done it. Yeah. Again, I I must reiterate. I really hope that they regain the rights and do something yeah. with that. But yeah. So as I said, the 1990s. Spider-Man gets stuck in a morass of legal rights. James Cameron at one time was considered, <laughs> but I'm going to say right now, his ideas for what he was considering were terrible. Mm. They were they were really atrocious. I love James Cameron. His ideas were insane. Cutting through all that. Sucks because we know he can direct action. Yeah, 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 yeah. Uh, I've got an absolutely silly love for Avatar. I, I love Avatar. I think it's wonderful. But anyway... We've got all that prehistory out of the way. Several things changed in the 1990s. First of all, the people that held the rights to Spider-Man went into bankruptcy, so the rights came up for sale. Secondly, Marvel itself went into bankruptcy. Oh, that I did not know. Yeah, Marvel went through a terrible bankruptcy in the 1990s. Generally speaking, the company would like to pretend the 1990s didn't exist outside of their animated shows. Which, let's face it, the animated shows were wonderful. Yeah. Sort of. There was an Avengers show that didn't manage to have any of the big three characters in it. I mean, just so that we're clear, we could get a live-action movie with Captain America, Iron Man, and Thor in it, and the Hulk. We couldn't get an animated series. But, otherwise, you know, the Spider-Man and X-Men shows are good. They're... I don't know if the Spider-Man one holds up, ideally, but it's good. It was alright. 
I mean, I, I used to watch it casually. That's how I learned about um, um, all the Spider-Man mythology and the, the, uh, yeah. the villains and all that. That's how I got my knowledge. It did its job. And that brings us to, finally, things started to go their way. They, For the record, they, were, they got out of bankruptcy fast, long before uh, the House of Mouse even came in to save the day. Um, yeah, yeah, Marvel was solvent. Marvel was extremely solvent, uh, very quickly. Uh, they wouldn't have been able to get into film production if they weren't solvent. So finally, we've got all that set up. The first Marvel film to really kick off the boom, technically speaking, came in 1998 with Blade. And I'm just gonna say right now, we're leaving the Blade movies off the cast. Yeah, um, I, I haven't seen them, have you? I've seen the first one, uh... I think I've seen the second one. I'm not sure. The thing here's the thing: they really don't pertain too much to what we're trying to talk about. At the end of the day, a Marvel cast is about superheroes on film. I'll say this: I have read the source material for Blade, uh, Tomb of Dracula. Blade, as adaptations of the uh, source material go, is very good. Hmm. It's by and large the Blade comics. I mean, I've really got no gripes with it. Blade's true to the uh, source. Uh, Tomb of Dracula is amazing. I I love Tomb of Dracula. Um, Marv Wolfman, Gene Colan, it's it's awesome. Uh, and I'm easy to get your hands on, too. I recommend it. But again, Blade's not really relevant. As I said, things started to roll Marvel's way. And they first went that way with X-Men. Famously, yes. Released by Fox. Released by Fox. I remember seeing it in the theater. We're actually going to post a link on the uh, blog to uh, a little piece I wrote about going to see it. I love, I love X Men. Uh, I, I, I love the X Men movie. Let's be clear, this was not an easy production. My God, was this not an easy production? Um, the script was rewritten on the fly to the point that the credited writer is almost a fiction. The release date was moved up by five months. Believe me, they were not happy about that. But several things went their way. It should be noted that they suffered a giant problem in the form of their lead actor had to quit. Yes, let's be clear. Hugh Jackman was not the first actor cast as Wolverine. Uh, DeGray Scott was. Hmm. Yeah, I've seen, since you mentioned that, I've seen pictures of him. He, he would have done fine. He, he, he probably would have. I want us to pause for a moment and realize that this happened. They had an actor cast as Wolverine, the central role of the film, and they had to fire him, not because they, not because there was anything wrong with him, but because, okay, nine times out of ten when a st an actor says uh, scheduling difficulties keep them out of a role, you know that's garbage. I, I noticed that almost never does an actor have scheduling difficulties keep them out of a good movie. Robert Downey Jr. was considered for Gravity, and he had to drop out due to scheduling issues. Okay, I buy it there. Yeah. Yeah, in this case, it really was that that case. Uh, Scott was cast as the villain in Mission Impossible 2. That wound up being a, an even worse production than this. A way worse production. Because once the movie finally got up on the ground, it actually went smoothly. And he had to drop out. And... <clears throat> at the last minute, they had to recast 
the part of Wolverine. What a last-minute recasting. Yeah. Guys, last-minute recastings do not go this well nine times out of ten. They don't. You know, before we get to Jackman, I mean, I should note that they that uh, director Brian Singer stacked the deck pretty thick with casting the fan-preferred choice for Xavier uh, with Patrick Stewart, um, the great Ian McKellen as Magneto. I mean, he put together a dynamite cast. Uh, James Marsden as Cyclops. Bonka Jansen from uh, Goldeneye as Jean Grey. He really put together a good cast. But none of that would have mattered if he hadn't absolutely nailed Wolverine. Yeah. You think about that first shot of the character. He's in a bar. He's in a cage fight. He's getting the crap kicked out of him. Stands up. And after this guy has taken all kinds of punishment, he goes back and he just beats the crap out of the guy in a cage fight. <laughs> this is our introduction to Wolverine, and it is perfect. Mm-hmm. I really love X-Men. It's, it's not a perfect film. Um, the Rush production does show in places. The scope of the film is much smaller, I think, than it should have been for an X-Men movie. I mean, I really think it should have been bigger. I think I think the subsequent films kind of make up for that. Oh, they do. They do. They do. They they completely do. I mean, this was this was a movie that was beginning a genre essentially. Yeah. Because yeah, the superhero movie existed before then. But this was the movie that kind of kicked it into high gear. X-Men is, I think you could probably call it a true original as far as it, like it, it reinvented what this was all about. Yeah, it absolutely did. Um, as I said, the film has that flaw that, yeah, I think the scope is a little bit smaller, but as I said, that's partially due to the rush production and partially due to the fact that, you know, the studio just wasn't going to give them the kind of money they might, say, give them now. The movie also has another flaw that I really hate bringing up, but I got to. Um, Anna Paquin as Rogue drives me nuts. Rogue, yeah. Where am I supposed to go? I don't know. You don't know or you don't care. Pick one. Her accent. Ugh. And, of course, the great irony of this is that now she's spent much of her career doing a southern accent. Um, I've never watched True Blood, I'm sorry, I'm not going to sit through it, because I'm not going to I'm not gonna listen to that week in, week out. Yeah, I understood. For those who don't know, I live in Little Rock, Arkansas. I know what southern accents sound like. Yeah, you, you, have, you have the ear to recognize when a southern accent is not good. There are actors who do great southern accents. Leonardo DiCaprio's accent uh, in uh, The Aviator, where he's trying to do a guy out of Houston. It's quite exciting, actually. It's a it's a spy plane for the Air Corps, a twin-engine plane with some, I must admit, some rather unique design features. It's perfect. This no, this is this is painful. She's hard to listen to, and she's not very good in the film. And it, it's a problem because she is such a major character of the film. She's kind of the romantic lead. She's like the number two character, yeah, after Jackman. Yeah, and she's involved in a love. Uh, what can only be described as a love pentagon. I don't know, it's hard. I don't know. I just, as I said, she she's a problem for me in the movie. But it, it doesn't stop the movie, and when the rest of the cast is 
as incredible as they are, and I mean, really, everybody else brings their A game, and Jackman, I mean, he comes out of this movie an, a massive star, as he should be. Mm-hmm. Um, of course, he's gone on subsequently to have a, an incredible career, and we'll be talking about him a few more times as this cast goes on. He just, his Wolverine is so pitch perfect to how I picture the character. Yeah, he is. Admittedly, I wonder if that's because of how much he's influenced, you know. But all the same, he is Wolverine. Something I mentioned on Twitter a few days ago to uh, mixed responses is uh, I think it is amazing. He's been in all these movies as Wolverine, and not once has he done, like, a costume. His costume is a a sleeveless white shirt and jeans. His hair is, like, vaguely shaped in this. Yeah. In all other incarnations, he has, like, the yellow costume and, or some sort of mask or whatever. Well, I would complain if he didn't have the claws. I don't oh, yeah, yeah, complain yeah, about the costume. It's worth noting, Jackman's actually very physically wrong for the part. <laughs> really? Yeah, he's 6'2", and he is ridiculously good-looking. The character is supposed to be short and ugly as all hell. But still... I'm not complaining. so perfect. As I said, I'm I'm saying the guy's perfect for the part. I'm just pointing mm-hmm. out. Yeah, yeah. So as I said, this movie gets the ball rolling. With Spider-Man, the rights finally, finally get shaken out. And they're still with the same uh, company. Oh yeah, Sony's going to hold on to those rights like, uh, you know, they're going to cling to them uh, as desperately as they can. Um, because those are very, very valuable rights. Sony finally gets things going with Spider-Man. Now... One of the bizarre pieces of trivia that I've uncovered as I was doing research for this cast is that they wanted the director of Texas Chainsaw Massacre to do Spider-Man when they thought it was a horror movie. I thought that was stupid, and then you know what occurred to me? Uh, They did get the director of Evil Dead to do it. I mean, that happened. As we all know, of course, they wound up hiring Sam Raimi to do uh, Spider-Man. I think that was an amazing choice. I really do think that was an amazing choice. Spider-Man hit in 2002. You know, I I think I probably have a few complaints I could throw at this movie, but ultimately I really don't care about that. Yeah. Because you want to talk about telling people that this genre had arrived. First of all, this movie made history. This was the first movie ever to break the $100 million barrier in three days. Really? No movie in history had broken that barrier. Harry Potter couldn't do it. That's amazing. Now, Harry Potter would ultimately break the barrier multiple times, as should be noted, with the later films. Yeah, yeah. yeah and uh, Harry had only had one outing. He said, and Harry Potter had only had one outing before this movie came out. With Spider-Man, it's important to stress, Sony spent all that money to try and get the rights resolved, and they took advantage of it. I mean, if you look at this movie, they put their best effort behind it. They put a ton of money into this film. Yeah. And it shows. I caught a few minutes of it the other day uh, at work. on It was on TV. 
And I mean, this film is a big, bold, colorful film. The most notable thing I think about it is the costume. Yes. Yeah. That is a perfect looking costume. I don't know how they managed to achieve that outside the realm of drawing. Well, the thing about it is, before the movie came out, there was all this talk of, well, they're going to try something very different from the comics. They're going to try and go in a different direction. And ultimately, they didn't. Ultimately, they just took Spider-Man's costume and lifted it. The funny thing about it is, that may have been the best move that they did on a marketing level, because that made the character instantly recognizable. Right. Immediately, you could look at the character and say, oh, that's, that's Spider-Man. Yeah. It was... Oh, it was perfect. It was just... Yeah, the costume was dead on. For some of the more dangerous stunts, they, of course, use CG, which is okay. You can kind of tell the CG sequences, but, I mean, it, it matches. It does. I mean, here's the thing. It's a Spider-Man movie, so I'm willing to give them a lot more leeway than I might say something that's supposed to be realistic. Yeah. yeah. I mean... It's it's a comic book movie. You're automatic. I'm automatically giving you the conceit that it's not going to look too realistic. Right. I mean, I, again, that's just that's what I expect of it. Right. Yeah, and uh, this was also my first exposure to Willem Dafoe. He was great. He absolutely nails Norman Osborn. Mm-hmm. He's having fun in this part. You can tell he's he's having a blast. What do you want? To say what you won't, to do what you can't, to remove those in your way. The board members, you killed them. We killed them. We? He is. That, that's something that I really love about this movie is this is a movie that is a big, bold film. Uh, you look at the color palette that's used, you know, lots of primary colors. You know, of course, you've got the reds and the blues on the costume. Blacks are extremely well-defined. This is a movie that has a very blunt color palette, um, and the performances reflect that. Yeah, you're right. Defoe is having a good time. J.K. Simmons steals every... <laughs> it's also my first exposure to him. Mine, too, and my God, is there a more perfect version of J. Jonah Jameson? Who is Spider-Man? He's a criminal, that's who he is. A vigilante, a public menace. What's he doing on my front page? Mr. Jameson, your wife is on line one. She needs to know if you... Mr. Jameson, is a page six problem. We have a page one problem, shut up. Right. Well, he's news. If they're really important clients, they can't wait. They're about to. He pulled six people off that subway car. Sure, from a wreck he probably caused. Something goes wrong and this creepy crawler is there. Look at that, he's fleeing the scene. What's that tell you? He's not fleeing, he's probably going to save somebody else. He's a hero. Then why does he wear a mask? Hmm? He embodies the character just like uh, Hugh Jackman embodies Wolverine. He's forever going to be associated. Yeah, he is. There's no actor on Earth that could pull off that cigar chomping. I mean, he takes this part and he tears into it. I mean, that's what I really love about this movie is this is not an attempt to be a grounded, realistic take on uh, this world. No, this is a movie that knows that it's a movie about a guy can shoot webbing out of his hands. I, if, if I have a gripe about the movie, it is that I think Tobey Maguire's a little too subdued. I missed him a lot today. I can't help thinking about the last thing I said to him. He tried to tell me something important, 
and I threw it in his face. Yeah, yeah. Toby is a whole other matter on those films, though. Yeah. Uh, he's he's just not quite Spider-Man. I we're, we'll get to the newer Spider-Man movies. Um, yeah. In the next cast, but Andrew Garfield's a better Spider-Man. Andrew Garfield is a much better Spider-Man. No denying that. Look, these casts are going to bleed together to some degree. We're going to go a little bit forward. We're going to go a little bit backwards. Uh, but as I said, Spider-Man, honestly, I have some complaints about the film, but they don't really matter in the end. This movie was just tremendous amounts of fun. And it should be noted that this movie did something that no other movie had ever done. No other comic book material had ever done, which was the next day I deliberately sought out a comic book shop. Oh, nice. And I started reading that year. Uh, that, 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 that was the period of time that I started reading comics. Um, I got into the hobby, and I have never gotten out. I didn't know that, that, was, that Spider-Man was the movie that made you, uh, that broke you into That was. That was. That's awesome. In fact, for my 10th anniversary of uh, that occasion, I uh, went on a trip to see a movie. See a comic book movie. But we'll get to that <laughs> in the next cast. We'll get to that in the next cast. Yes, we will. Things to be looking forward to. So, okay, Spider-Man comes out of the gate and just blows everything away for what you would expect. As you might could guess, the immediate re impulse that the studios had was, dear God, if we've got comic book material, let's get it into production. It's a craze that really hasn't stopped. No, it's, it's only gotten worse, I would argue. It's only gotten worse. And better. And better. I'm worse in terms of how much studios want to do it, better in terms of film. Spider-Man comes out of the gate and it just, you know, changes everything. It, Hollywood's never changed back. And that brings us to the next film, a movie that a lot of you really don't like. Let's mm. talk. Let's talk about uh, February of 2003's Daredevil. watched it last night. Give me your thoughts on it. Uh, yeah, I watched the director's cut for the first time last night, and I, I did see the original in the theater. As did I. It is such a well-made movie. I mean, it is. it looks beautiful. Affleck is the bomb in it, yo. Pardon the reference. I'm sorry. No, I'm not sorry. Affleck was the bomb in it. Like, this is my first time actually viewing it since he's been announced as Batman, and Jesus Christ, people, you have nothing to worry about. The director's cut is a much darker film. Most of the changes are they weave in out a court case starring Coolio. You know, don't groan. He's good in it. He's, he's almost comic relief and he's not in it very much anyway. But that the case that they investigate ties into bringing down Wilson, Fit, Wilson Fisk. Uh, Wilson Fisk, the kingpin. He, he, he does well in it. Uh, he does very good. Like, I'm almost sorry. I'm kind of sorry that they weren't able to make sequels. He actually did reprise the part for the Spider-Man animated series on MTV. Ooh, that's awesome. Yeah. But, yeah, so that that court case that they cut out ties into bringing down the Kingpin. At the end, when he goes... Yeah, that blind man. Yeah, the virus. 
For me? Did you hear? The words out on the Kingpin. They're coming for you. That suddenly makes sense because they've spent most of the movie building up a court case that leads to him. Exactly. Yeah. And without that, that part does not make sense, really. It's like, okay, why are, why are police sirens coming for the Kingpin? What? Yeah. But anyway, yeah, it's a very dark movie. The director's cut is radar. I highly recommend it. But yeah, it's it's well shot, it's well made, it's well edited, it's well put together. The sonar effect that they use for Daredevil's powers... It's perfect. It's perfect. It's not used as a gimmick in any way. Uh, every time it's used, it's, it's, it has a purpose, which shows its shortcomings and as well as its usefulness. I don't know much about the character in and of itself, but... I do. But by God, it, I dig this movie, and I dig the material. I think that your reaction, that you don't know much about the character, but you have this reaction, that's exactly what we should get every time they make a movie like this. Yeah. Because I do know the character. Um, I'm a big Daredevil fan. I've got a ton of graphic novels. Um, there are so many good runs on the character. I mean, I was catching a lot of the references. A lot of the shots in this movie are direct lifts from panels in the movie, or in the comics. I believe it. Yeah. You know, one of the things I was saying last night is that, um, like, almost every shot in this film looks like it could be a comic book panel, like, without trying too hard. Trying too hard, I would say, like, Ang Lee's Hulk trying too hard uh, by actually, you know, having, oh my god, pages of comic book panels and going in and out. No. Yeah. Um, the only other film I've been able to say that about is The Avengers. Uh, we'll get to that, too, but every frame could be a comic book panel it's 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 well done it's well done um here's the thing this is a movie that as you noted suffered from some terrible studio meddling uh the the director's cut thankfully has served to alleviate a lot of those problems the studio really got in and meddled on it but you know what even still this is still something that you don't see very often in this era of the comic book movie which is this is the director swinging for the fences and trying to get everything in that he can get in. He does not miss a beat. He gets in Daredevil, Kingpin, Bullseye, Elektra. Ben Urich is in it as a major character and is wonderfully handled. Joey Palantano, yes. That is very much the character from the comics. He gets it right. This is a guy who overstuffs the film. Yes, he definitely overstuffs it. But you know what? I'd rather see a movie where you're trying to do too much than not trying to do enough. And by God, uh, Mark Steven Johnson is the guy who did it. This is probably his only good film. Which is too bad, but you know. Pretty much everything else he's done is uh, crap. Uh, but, you know, he really gets it. He gets it. This is a good Daredevil movie. And my God, the references. Yeah. There are so many references to the people who created the comic. Pretty much every writer, to some degree, has some reference somewhere embedded in it. And of course, Stan Lee himself is in it, as he is with every Marvel film. Yes, he is. And he's got a great cameo. You've got... Um, two of the writers have cameos in the film. Uh, Frank Miller is... Uh, oh, really? Yeah, he's in it as a victim of Bullseye. <laughs> I think he's had something jammed through his head. And... And, of course, the one that everyone's going to pick up on immediately Kevin Smith. I completely forgot he was in this. It makes sense, though, because of the Ben Affleck tie, though. Smith is a huge Daredevil fan. 
included a reference in Jay and Silent Bob Strike Back, and wrote a legendary arc of the comic, which I cannot recommend enough. I, it's it's amazing stuff. His art on or his writing on it is great. The art is incredible. Um, and yeah, I recommend the living hell out of it. I think we must mention that you, uh, for each of these casts, you have put together a handy list of uh, comic books. Yes. Uh, reading material. Yes, there will be a reading list provided um, with this cast, and it's going to be comprehensive. I'm doing this for each one of these casts. These are annotated. If I reference it, it's on the list. But as I said, Smith wrote an arc, and it's great. I really think Daredevil's underrated. I think it's a very strong, well-made take on the character. I think part of that, part of it's, again, the Affleck, uh, this was around the time of Jersey Girl. This was around the time of... It was the backlash. Yeah, Geely. Um, damn it. <laughs> He's now getting the praise he deserves, I think, as director. And he will as Batman. I, I really do think that will be a successful outing. I think so, too. As I said, Daredevil, and eh, it didn't do too hot. It, again, it suffered a bit from the backlash. But, again, I think it's a good movie. One point I do have to get in before we leave that, though, I do think that um, Daredevil is kind of an inverted Batman. Yes, 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 he is an inverted Batman. I think that's a good way of looking at the character. Um, I've read a couple of, of, of uh, Daredevil-Batman crossovers. They're not half bad. Um, th th you know, that goes there. That's, that's where that stood. Um, that brings us to X2. much to say about this one, not because it's a bad movie, but because it's just an awesome movie. It, uh, it, it picks up on the story nicely. All the hints that are dropped about Wolverine's past are come to fruition in this one. Yep, they do indeed. And as mentioned, it is a much grander story. What's the, what's the title? It's just X2, isn't it? It's just X2. Okay. X-Men United, I guess, is the third one? No, it was, it was the promotional... It was what they called it promotionally. Okay. I mean, I think it, that's a much better title than uh, X2, but, yeah. Yeah. But no, on the film it's just X2, which is a stupid title. Yeah, it is. But that doesn't matter. The, the, the film, this is a much bigger film. The scope issue is not so much of an issue because this includes the raid on the mansion sequence, which is just... Oh. It's it's great. It really delivers what you ask out of an X-Men movie. Mm -hmm. One thing they don't do is they don't go overboard with New Mutants, but they do include Nightcrawler. Yes, that was a great addition. Fan favorite Nightcrawler, and my god, they just knock it out of the park with Nightcrawler. He's perfect. Yeah, the effect on him is great. I think the famous sound effect on him is Ben. Yeah. For his teleportation, and they get that across really well. Alan Cumming just does such a great job at conveying the character's 
gentle spirit, his sense of daring, and oh, he's just oh, he's great in it. Again, I could probably come up with a million critiques about this movie if I sat down and thought about them. I don't want to sit down and think about it. I want to, I want to enjoy the fact that this movie exists. Yeah, I agree. As I said, for me, this one, at this point, I'm a year deep into the comic book reading, and this one still hits the spot for me, even with the years now that I've had added. This one's fun. It's big, it's bold. About the only thing I feel like is missing is in that raid on the mansion, there really should have been a Sentinel or two there. Yeah. I think they're going to remedy that, though. Finally, we're getting Sentinels in Days of Future <laughs> Past, yes. But, as I said, this is just this is a fun movie. I've, I've really got no real complaints with it. It delivers. So, now let's jump on to the next movie on the list is one that I do have complaints about. Let's talk about Hulk. seen this once i think once was enough this is this this is just a baffling motion picture i don't get it i think robot chicken did a little parody on it where they do like the backstory of the hulk like you know like an e-hollywood true story there's one segment where he teams up with ang lee and ang lee says hulk movie very clear to me comic book meet slow beautiful haiku pretty bird oh pretty bird how Hulk sings so high. Sounds fascinating. It surely will not be huge flop that ruined my career. Surely. I mean, look, it's important to realize that on either side of this movie, Lee won Oscars. I mean, that's what happened, is on one side of this movie, you've got Crouching Tiger, Hidden Dragon, which is so, which is very overrated in my opinion. Overrated? Yes. I'm not a big fan. <laughs> We differ there, but okay. <laughs> On the other side, you've got Brokeback Mountain, which is going to, through the years, hold up as a great film. Yes. Down the line, you've got Life of Pi, which I love passionately. Oh, man. Talked at length about that one, and my God. Yeah. So, you've got this guy who can do good movies, and he was so wrong for this movie, it hurts. And it sucks because Ang Lee is a very versatile director. He did both Crouching Tiger, Hidden Dragon and Ride with the Devil, which two opposite films, and he pulled those off. Not very many people cite Ride with the Devil, so points to you on that. Oh yeah, it takes place and was filmed near where I live. Oh yeah. Here's, I mean, here's the thing. He also can't say that this was studio meddling that made this film what it is. No, he brought in his writer... This was his movie through and through. A lot of people like to point to the special effects as being the reason that the movie doesn't work. And they're wrong. No, they are wrong. The special effects are actually pretty decent. And there are some sequences in the film that work quite well. The sequence where the Hulk is going crazy in the lab and just smashing stuff up. That's fine. That's Hulk. That's Hulk. 
Here's the big thing that the movie is lacking, is it's lacking a good villain. It has a villain. He's awful. So remind me, who is the villain in that one? The villain is Nick Nolte as his father, who who develops absorbing powers, and so he can turn into anything that uh, he absorbs the uh, essence of, or whatever the hell. Look, it's stupid. Uh. Um, God, this this is just, as I said, at one point, Nolte, in order to become pure electricity, bites down on an electrical cable. He picks an electrical cable up, and he bites down on it. Ugh. That's lame. Power of a table. It's, I just, oh, it's, it's a weird movie. It's too slow. It's too ponderous in places. It doesn't, it just doesn't work. It, it feels like Lee's sensibilities were not there. Eric Bana isn't very good as the Hulk. He's, I like Bana. He's a good actor. I like, uh, uh, Munich, and especially um, in Funny People, he's he's really good there. He's not good here. He's he sleepwalks through the movie. Um, it does have Sam Elliott as Thunderbolt Ross. He's good. I like the way the movie's shot. The panel, the you know the panel thing that Lee does is awesome. It is an awesome effect. I will give it that. And I'd like to see that in a good comic book movie. Yeah, I mean, I I I personally think it's a little overkill for trying to, like, I am making a comic book movie. But, you know, but for all the, I do admire the effort that that took, you yeah. know, for all the, all the footage that he had to shoot for those sequences, because, holy crap, there's a lot. Yeah. And, and yeah, you could do something creative with that. You could. And again, I'd like to see that used in a good movie. This, this isn't it. It's just... I... It's a it's a frustrating movie. I want to like this movie. I, I do feel like there is some real effort here, but it's just a disjointed movie. It's a movie that wants to be very serious, but then you have things like the cable biting. You have this silliness that the movie can't ever resolve. And I just it's no, this is this is just one that frustrated me. So and for me it was just wrong tonally as far as like not really so much tone, but consistency. Like, yes. the highs and lows were all off. Like, parts where it feels like it should build up, it just sort of winds down. You're right. Yeah. I mean, all of that is really inconsistent, and I think that's the best way to describe it. Yeah. If if there is some nice things, if there is a couple other nice things I can say about it, um, Danny Elfman's score is probably the most underrated of his career. I forgot that he did that. He did a really nice kind of kind of creepy score uh it, it's good it's good I, in general this is just not a very good movie and i mean it's so not very good that when a friend asked me if i wanted to go see it the next day i was like no no i honestly don't i don't turn down a lot of comic book movies this one i was just like no yeah i i will say weirdly enough that this was one case where the novelization did a little bit more work because they hired peter david who wrote some of the best Hulk comics ever to do the novelization, and David inherently infused his stuff into it. And so, hmm. novelization actually does kind of fix some of the flaws and some of the consistency issues. But, I I don't know. This is just, this is a weird movie. With that, as I said, Hulk underperformed badly. Yeah, as it should have. As it should have. I mean, 
Word of mouth killed it. It had one of the biggest second weekend drops ever. Oh, wow. Because audiences were just like, no, no, we're not doing this. No. That brings us to 2004, jumping on to 2004. And, again, you've got one modest performer with Daredevil. Um, X-Men 2 did really great numbers, and people were still feeling the buzz off of Spider-Man. 2004 kicked off with uh, the first film that Marvel had in a deal with what was then Artisan Entertainment, but they got purchased by Lionsgate, and actually one of only two movies they made with them. There were plans to do other characters, but they just couldn't get anything going. Um, this brings us to The Punisher. The Punisher. That's one I unfortunately saw in theater. I'm sorry. Yeah, I'm sorry too. Uh, yeah. You talk about getting the tone completely wrong. Right. I mean, I don't know what they were going for. I mean, they wanted to be dark, I guess. They wanted to be edgy, I guess. But they backed off the yeah. edginess, the gore, the... Uh, okay, there's a scene where uh, one of the characters has nose rings. Like, one of the friend characters. Like, they're trying to be friend punisher. And he gets his nose rings ripped out by these guys. And you kind of see the aftermath, but at the same time, they, like, shy away from it, from actually showing it. You know, that's kind of a niggly nitpicky point, but it kind of describes the whole thing. Yeah. It's it's a movie that seems to want to be a dark and edgy movie, but it's afraid to actually go there. One of the amazing things about this movie is that the studio decided to... uh force upon the filmmakers that they had to shoot in Tampa, Florida for tax reasons. <laughs> you do not set a Punisher movie in Florida. For those who do not know, the Punisher is almost as linked to New York as Spider-Man. Yeah. You don't move him out of that setting. There are places you can put him that aren't New York, but you don't move him to sunny Florida. No. Th this, this movie, I don't, I don't know. It's funny because it does draw a little bit from the Garth Ennis run. And, you know, here and there, it's, it's like, oh, okay, it's not too far off. Um, you know, they do get the skull shirt this time because, you know, that was so hard last time. They did use that imagery a lot. Kudos. But that's the bare minimum. That's the bare minimum. Uh, that's, that's like asking that I would like to see Spider-Man swing from a web or Captain America have his shield. It's... This is just, I don't know, this is this is not an improvement on 89, is what I'm trying to say. John Travolta was the bad guy. Yeah. Uh, Thomas Jane is fine in the part, but he's one of those actors, I feel like sometimes the internet gives him a little too much leeway for some reason. I mean, he's good in the part, but, you know, I'm, he, he's, he just doesn't, he can't do anything with this script. I should note that this movie opened in an astonishing display of the studio wasn't thinking, they opened this against Kill Bill Volume 2. Oh, oh, yeah. There's a movie that went for it. Let, let's just compare for a moment. You are making a movie about a character whose sole 
causes revenge, and you open it against the Del Bell against one of the greatest revenge movies of all time, no less. Right. Without exaggeration, you're opening against. Ah, oh, I can't even fathom what they were thinking. Oh, and by the way, one week out, you've got uh, Man on Fire with Denzel Washington, which is another really good revenge movie. <sighs> Your timing is terrible. The contrast, a woman gets her eyeball plucked out twice ah. in Kill Bill Volume 2. Yeah. I mean, for God's sake. Yeah, audiences, uh, audiences went with Kill Bill Volume 2, and they were right. When you're going up against that, you guys, you guys step up your game. Yeah, Punisher flopped. Yeah, as it should have. It, it did, and Marvel went to bat one more time in 2004. And who oh boy did they choose to go to bat? They did Spider-Man too. It's kind of the same situation with X-Men 2. I don't have much to say about this movie because I just love the living hell out of this movie. I tried to watch this again because I've only seen it once and I don't remember much about it except Doc Ock. Yeah, it's impossible to find where you where you, where you you don't have to buy it. It's insane that they do that. Yeah, and or download it illegally, but you know. Yeah, as I said, as of this movie... I don't have much to say about this movie, because, I mean, what more do I say beyond, it's awesome. Right. To me, this is, this is what comic book movies should strive for. I'm not saying it's the best comic book movie of all time, but what it gets right is that it takes itself just right. The, the, the tone is perfect. Um, it's funny, we've just had two movies with wildly inconsistent tones. And now you hit this one where the tone is just dead on Stan Lee, Steve Ditko. Yeah. Well, I do remember about the Dr. Octopus thing. I did like um, how it ended, how he was handled, how the how, how the uh, octopus arms were handled. Oh, yeah. That was really cool. Like, they had their own little personalities. I've always been a huge Doc Ock fan. Uh, to me, Doc Ock has always been my favorite of Spider-Man's villains. He's the one I wanted to see get right the most on the screen, and dear God, did they nail it. Alfred Molina is a perfect Dr. Octopus. He looks perfect. He acts perfect. You're right. The tentacles are just exactly what you expect them to be. They move the fights. My God, the fight sequences. Again, they're not completely photorealistic. Yeah, but who cares? The final battle especially has some serious uh, CGI issues. But you know what? I really, really, really... Do not care. I could not care less about the issues with the CGI because, god damn it, this movie is so much fun. The scene on the train. Dear God, the scene on the train. I mean, you're watching it and you're realizing that you're seeing something that has never been done before. This is this movie gets it right. It, it's this is a good Spider-Man movie. I think McGuire's a lot is a lot more active actually in this one. I think he's a lot. More truly Peter Parker. He gets some good one-liners. Everything that was good the first time is still good. No, I just dig this movie. I I don't really have any complaints about it. It's fun. Yeah. 
you know, I hate that I, I have to descend to hyperbole, but I do. That's all good. That's okay, because we can take the hyperbole off. Um, the next, because 2005 was not Marvel's year. No. No. I'm going to say right now, I didn't see Elektra. I saw it recently. I don't remember anything about it. It has very little to do with... As a, I expected more as a spinoff of Daredevil. It was disappointing. Yeah, I didn't see it. I didn't note this on Daredevil, but I did have issues with Jennifer Garner as Elektra. Yeah. It's a little too wholesome. She's a little too all-American. Yeah, I'd agree. These are not traits that work against her as an actress. They actually work in her favor on something like Juno or 13 Going on 30, where I really liked her in those movies. She's a likable actress. She seems like a, an awesome person. I've got no complaints with her, but she's not Electra. She's miscast, and so I didn't see this one. I had no interest. Yeah. And guys, when I don't go see a Marvel Comics-based film, that should be cause for alarm. I should say, in the director's cut, I don't know. I haven't seen the theatrical in a while. She speaks a lot more Greek in this than I remember. The last thing she is is plausibly Greek. I mean, I'm... I'm sorry, Garner is just, no. <laughs> this, 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 this one, ugh, I, I didn't, I didn't see it. Um, again, you know, I've heard some people say they liked it, and if they did, good on them. I just wasn't interested. Yeah, me neither. But boy, do I have a lot more thoughts on the next one. <laughs> Fantastic Four. film because here's the thing this movie does not make me as angry as another film that we're going to get to i'm kind of of the opinion that it's sort of just here mm -hmm. it, it, it's sort of it, it occupies time and space it's not unbearable yeah but then i think to myself that gee aren't the comics kind of awesome and imaginative and bold and then i get kind of angry i um i don't remember much much about the original movie especially since i just watched the sequel not too long ago you know except of course space accident and blind girlfriend and which actually is not that i is that an element in the comics thing's girlfriend yes yes alicia masters yes okay that actually i thought worked for both movies yeah i mean that's the thing the movie by and large with the exception of one character Stays true to how things work. Yeah. I mean, it, it pretty much hits the beats, as you would expect them. They go into space, the accident, they get superpowers. We have a dick joke at uh, the expense of Richard Reed. That's gross. Half of the actors are extremely well cast for the four main roles. Uh, Michael Chiklis was a lifelong fan who, this was his dream, was to get involved. He's awesome as Ben Grimm. He's... Exactly the character that I think of, a uh, good wisecracking uh, thing. The makeup on him was really damn good, too. It is. Uh, he looks perfect, is the thing. I, I, I would have liked a little bit of a pronounced growl line, but that might have looked silly. Yeah, yeah. 
there's only so much you can do in the realm of live action when you're coming from drawings. But he's good. Um, and then you've got Chris Evans as the Human Torch. Yeah, um, when we're done with this cast in the Fantastic Four movies, we're not done with Evans, as we all know. Evans does a really good job. He's he's very much the wisecracking, smartass uh, Johnny Storm from the comics. He's got sass. He does. He, he's a sassy... He is this character. Yeah. I've got no gripes with him at all. Does he really have to say the words flame on to activate his uh, no. powers? No, it's, okay. it's, it's more of a psychological thing and a catchphrase. Okay. you got to realize, that character is established in the comics as being very brand conscientious. Hmm. Very brand conscientious. Well, okay, I guess that makes sense. That just kind of annoyed me when watching the sequel. Plus, it, it is his catchphrase. I'm not going to complain that the movie uh, included things that were right from the comics. Um, yeah. Just as I would have been mad if uh, the thing didn't say it was clobbering time at some point. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, of the main actors, um, Ian Griffith is okay as uh, Reed Richards. He's a little too nerdy and a little too gawky for my ta tastes as this character. He's okay. He looks right. He looks right. He looks he right. He looks right. Not quite. Mm, yeah. I'm, I'm not sold that this is the smartest man in the world is what it comes down to. Right. Guys, I'm, I'm, I don't like picking on actors. I want to make that clear. Jessica Alba is terrible as Sue Storm. She's Miss Bland. She is so bland. She's margarine in the film is what she is. Synthetics act as a second skin, adapting to your body's individual needs. He's invisible. Yeah. All the pun intended. She's just not very good. And that kills me because she's playing a character who is awesome. She's in it. She's in it. Eh. Eh. <laughs> but the thing that I really, really despise about this movie is Doom. Yeah. Oh my god, did they blow Victor Von Doom so badly? I don't remember much about him in the first, but in the second I definitely have qualms. Well, then 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 let me just hit on this. This is not the character from the comics. Um in the movie they tie his transformation, so to speak. They they use uh, an alternate universe origin for him so that he turns into metal and all of that. But he still wears the armor of Doom. Point? I don't know why. They don't get much right about him. You do not believe that this is a threatening character. Unlike some of the other Marvel villains, you know, especially the ones to come in the next cast, you're, you're not afraid of this guy. This guy is just bland. He's not threatening. He's kind of goofy. You know who he reminded me the most of? Who? Claw in the Inspector Gadget movie. Ooh. Yeah. Ooh. Sick burn, huh? That's, yeah. Yeah. Shit, that's terrible. Yeah, I, I know it is, but I, it is what it is. Special effects in the movie are good. I, 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 you know, if I can point something out that I like, special effects are good. Yeah, they work. But I just feel like this movie is missing so much awe, so much of a sense of, wow. It's the Fantastic Four, not the Okay Four. Yeah, that's just it. This is an Okay movie. Mm -hmm. I mean, as I said, I like half the cast, you know, the effects are good, the action's not bad, it's just, 
it's okay. I mean, I would compare this movie to getting a fast food meal. It's not very nourishing. You know, it doesn't leave you with a good after feeling, but it goes, you enjoy it while you're going through it. You just yeah. know it's not top class. Right. I don't know. Fantastic Four, it is what it is. To me, the the only real big flaw that I see about it is the fact that it's just not good enough to be what it should be. No. If you want to see a movie that almost captures what the Fantastic Four should be, The Incredibles is pretty damn close. Yeah. Jesus Christ, yeah. Uh, it's really damn close, and it plus it, it also captures the theme of the Fantastic Four so much better. The theme of family. Mm -hmm. So, I don't know. I... Now we're going to move on to one of the most disliked movies for some... Well, actually, it seems like for most of the Marvel films. X-Men The Last Stand. Like I have, I have some close friends uh, who are also comic book nerds. My friend Jason, I know. I asked him once, "What do you think of uh, X Men Three? And he said, "What X Men Three? I honestly didn't think it was that bad. Okay, here's my stance on the film. First of all, it's important to note that this movie had a very turbulent pre-production. What happened was Brian Singer left to do Superman Returns. He wanted to, I think he still wanted to do this movie, and, but, you know, he said, I would need a delay on it, and they said, no, we need this movie for Memorial Day 2006, and so they fired him. This is very much a studio-made film. There is no creative force behind the scenes on this movie. This is a studio-mandated film, through and through. Uh, just really the same thing happened with Fantastic Four. Um, there was another film where the studio just got in and said, okay, this is how it's going to be. Initially, they were looking at several directors. Uh, a young British director by the name of Matthew Vaughn was signed on and then walked away. He said, I just can't do this. This is not for me. He, the, the way the studio was pushing him around, he opted out. This would not mark the last time that Vaughn would be associated with the X-Men, but that's a story for a different cast. They wound up hiring Brett Ratner, a director I've always thought kind of gets a bad rap. Hmm. Yeah, Ratner's got some pretty bad films to his credit. He's also got Red Dragon, which I think is rather underrated. Um, he's got The Family Man, which, a bad ending aside, is a pretty good movie. The first rush hour is good, and honestly, I think this is a good movie. Yeah. Let me begin right off the bat by saying that here are some things that the movie gets so wrong that, yes, they should be held against the film. First of all, what what it does to the Dark Phoenix saga is pathetic. That's, of course, the uh, Jean Grey thing, right? Yes. Those who don't recall, the ending of uh, X-Men 2 suggested that we were going to get a Dark Phoenix saga take. There was hints of the Phoenix, and she winds up more or less resigned to being a side character in this. She has the Phoenix stuff, but she's not really the Phoenix as we think of her. Uh, the main villain of the film is Magneto. Yeah. But you know what? I've got no complaints with that because I really love Ian McKellen's Magneto. Mm -hmm. The movie also kills off two characters very unceremoniously. 
Cyclops is killed off for no good reason. Yeah, like right at the start. And I think that's only because of uh, casting. The guy uh, wasn't available to do the entire film, if I'm if I'm remembering correctly. You're right. You're right. You're right about all this. Yeah. The thing about it was, rather than doing, like, a sideline him and keep him alive, they were feeling very vindictive. They straight up murdered his ass. I don't think you can understand how much Fox executives were not happy with Brian Singer over him leaving. <laughs> So when he chose to get Marsden for a small part in Superman Returns, they said, well, this is what we're doing to you. Jesus. They kill him off fast. They also proceed to take the decision of taking Professor Xavier out of the storyline. Oh, yeah, they, they kill him. And that's, that's stupid, but okay. And, yeah, we are full spoilers. These movies have been out for a while. It's fine. Yeah. But maybe not so forthcoming in the next cast. No. But look, and besides which, if you've seen the trailer for Days of Future Past, you know that he's going to get better somehow. Okay. Can you explain to me the, the post-credit sequence? No, I cannot. No, I cannot at all. I thought not. Because... Okay, I'll include the entire clip here, Morning. but what happens is someone's in a hospital bed, you don't see who, and then you hear... Hello, Moira. Charles. I don't know, and I don't even I don't even choose to understand. As I said, these are real issues with the film, and if you want to bring them up to me, you're fine. Yeah. But my god, there's so much else that this movie gets right that I just can't be that angry at it. Beast. Yeah, Beast. My god, Kelsey Grammer plays Beast, and he's perfect. He is the Beast we always dreamed we'd get. Yeah. He's the big, blue, furry Beast. The makeup is amazing. Mm-hmm. And, of course, the makeup combined with that amazing voice of Grammer's, oh, it's awesome. A major pharmaceutical company has developed a way to suppress the mutant X gene permanently. They're calling it a cure. Yeah, we needed Dr. Fraser Crane as the kick-ass animal dude. This is perfect. Yeah. And of course, I'm a big Henry McCoy fan. I love Beast. He's one of my favorite characters. He's fun in this movie. The movie also does draw a little bit from one of my favorite storylines. There's hints of the uh, Gifted storyline by uh, Joss Whedon and John Cassidy. Interestingly and, uh, enough. Yeah. And yes, I, I did reference Joss Whedon. Again, we'll, we'll get to him in the next cast, but big time on my reading list is uh, Joss Whedon's Astonishing X-Men, which is oh, it's one of my favorite comic book runs of all time. I think I think uh, when Marvel was doing their number ones, uh, quote-unquote sale, like, they, they did a thing online where they, uh, you could get any of Marvel's number ones digital, uh, for free, and that's, that's one that I got, and I did quite enjoy that one, I'd like to continue that at some point. It's, it's on Netflix, it should be noted that they did motion comics oh. of it on Netflix, which are good, oh, I've watched shit. them. Yeah, I'm definitely on that. Watch it, watch it, it's fun. Mm. This also big time gives me what I've always wanted, which is all-out mutant mayhem. That final battle at, um, I think it's Alcatraz, is just an all-out mutant melee. And I loved it! Yeah. You get things like Iceman fully iced up, 
I mean, it's just all out. Uh, Magneto and his army versus Xavier Brood. I mean, it's amazing. Yeah, you get Mystique's little uh, storyline, which was pretty good. Yeah, not the not the best Mystique storyline we've ever had. But, I mean, you know, you've got some good stuff here. I'm sorry, this movie has a lot of flaws in it. But damn it all to hell, it's fun. Yeah, and I think the big thing that we are I haven't mentioned yet is, of course, the themes, the gay themes. Yeah, this is an idea that really hits home to me as somebody who has autism and who has pondered the idea of, if it could be cured, would you want it? Yeah. And the idea of, if you could cure gay, would, you know? And what's interesting yeah. is that some of the characters do take the cure. Uh, Rogue takes the cure. Yeah. And you know what? Why wouldn't she? Yeah. She, um, you know, she has a boyfriend that she can't touch. She's miserable. Just, just horrid. Like, for her, the, uh, the cons way outweigh the pros in her power. Yeah. On the other hand, if you were somebody like, uh, Wolverine, where your power makes you functionally immortal, yeah, you, you yeah, of course not. It's kind of fun. That's, that's kind of fun. Of course, there's also some downsides to that. But, mm-hmm. I mean, I'm, I'm sorry, it just, it's, it's a good idea, and it's a good storyline. Again, this really draws heavily from the, the ideas of Gifted, but this is a movie that does have something on its mind. For a film that was so studio-mandated, there are right. ideas here. And that was used pretty well. Yeah. They did explore those really well. Uh, a lot of people, I think, thought that was heavy-handed. I thought it was right for it. I mean, those, those ideas are present in the first film. You know, with with Magneto wanting to wipe out all of humankind and just leave the mutants. Yeah. I mean, it, it's set up. It's not like they just shoved it in there. I also feel like this movie handles the cameos well. It, it, it uh, We do get Juggernaut in it, in a small part. True. Oh, true, yeah. Yeah, Juggernaut's well used. Kitty Pride is well used here. Ellen Page was a dream choice for that, by the way. Mm-hmm. Uh, she's one of my... She's another one of my favorite characters, and I really enjoyed seeing her. She'd been used in, like, cameos before, but here she finally did get to step up and play a part in the story. Was she in the original X-Men in that one small, tiny bit? Yes. Or was that another actress? Yeah, it was not her in... No, Paige, this was her first time to play the part in this movie. Oh, okay. But, as I said, I just, to me, this is one of those movies, I hear the fans talk about it, and I'm like... No, I, I don't. I don't think you're right. I'm sorry. I just I I enjoyed this movie. I I stand by it. I, I think it works. It's not great, but it it works. Um, I actually saw this on a double bill with the 1989 Batman movie. Oh, nice. Um, and I prefer this over that one. Yeah, same. Yeah, because that one has some real problems. And uh, by the way, fanboys, come at me. Come at me. That's the point of this cast. <laughs> come at me, bro. Come at me, bro. I'm. <laughs> On to 2007. 2007. This year is our stopping point for this cast. We're deliberately choosing this point because, well, as I said, something something changed in the comic book movie after this point. Mm-hmm. And we're going to get to what changed in the next cast. I was going to say just for Marvel, but that's not true. No. The scope and what it means to be a comic book movie changed. And I'm going to state right now that with the three movies that we're going to discuss... Here, the comic book movie was starting to burn itself out. Yeah. There's no getting around it. You may have noticed that, okay, in 2004, 
I said that, you know, I really loved Spider-Man 2. I really do not like the movies that we're about to discuss. Yeah. Let's let's quickly hit on Ghost Rider, because I'm going to say right now, I've seen bits and pieces of it. I've never seen the full thing. I saw it. Mark Steven Johnson from Daredevil came back to Marvel to do this. I didn't know that was him. Yeah. It's not as good as that film. I don't know the character of Ghost Rider. Nicolas Cage does a decent job. Um, Nicolas Cage is Nicolas Cage. I know he's always wanted to do a superhero. He's a he's a big comic fan. He actually had to cover up a Ghost Rider tattoo while doing really? this movie. Yeah. Holy shit. Well, there you go. I mean, he's decent. He's decent as Ghost Rider. I mean, for God's sake, he chose his stage name because he's a huge Luke Cage fan, for God's sake. Yeah. Yeah, I'm sure he's decent, but... Ugh. What I've seen of this... It just, no, just looked kind of silly. It is. I don't know what else I can say on it. Uh, it is, <coughs> it is what it is, and it's not good. That's fine because I'm about to uh, get my claws out and just absolutely tear the next two films to shreds. Mm-hmm. Okay, Spider-Man Three. <laughs> Wow, where 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 to start on this movie? Let me start by noting that one of the things that I didn't touch on when discussing the first two Spider-Man films was the relationship between Peter Parker and Mary Jane Watson. How much I loved that relationship in those two films. The ending of the first one was a little—I uh, don't think cliche is the word, but just sort of. Oh come on, really? Yeah, it's frustrating. This is sequel bait. This is sequel bait. Plain and simple. That's all you're doing. Just the, I can't have a relationship with you because power and responsibility and it's too much responsibility and I can't do it. I don't want to hurt you. It's like, whatever, fuck you. Not to jump too far ahead, but I really prefer how they handled it in The Amazing Spider-Man so much more. Oh yeah, that was so satisfying. But just staying on this one, yeah, it was frustrating, but you know what? It made the ending of the second film that much happier. Because it hasn't come easily. He's had to fight for this. It feels earned. It feels real. So the first thing that Spider-Man 3 does is it throws all of that away. It wrecks that relationship. It wrecks the characters. It, it makes Mary Jane... Suddenly she's got real issues with how much time he's spending as Spider-Man and such. Yeah, and he's not helping. No, he's being a jerk. This is something you're going to have to get used to. Believe me, I know. Spider-Man gets attacked all the time. This isn't about you. This is about me. It's about my career. I know, and I'm just saying you can't let it you can't let it bring you down. You just got to believe in yourself and you pull yourself together, you get right back on the horse. And... Don't give me the horse thing. You're being a dick. This is all before the black symbiote comes into. Exactly. It it, it... Ugh, it's it's insane, because you're just sitting there going, have these characters learned nothing? I didn't believe that these characters would be this way. If that was the only thing wrong with that movie, 
That would be enough to sink it for me. Because you've taken everything I cared about and thrown it away. Yeah. And that's really upsetting to me. I mean, it's atrocious what they do to the character. But of course, that's not the only thing wrong with the movie. No, it only starts there. It only starts there. This was a movie that was meddled with again by the studios. But you know what? I've heard what Sam Raimi's ideas for it were. And I kind of think it's okay that the studio meddled with it. Because... His ideas were that was that he wanted to do the idea of a hero who wasn't very good and a villain who wasn't very evil. Hmm. Okay. No. That's that's not a good idea in a comic book movie. No, especially this one. Yeah. This one does not need that. No. We already had sympathy for Dr. Octopus, who was going on this misguided quest in the second movie. He'd already done that. He was stuck in that mode. What he does here is it's almost the same thing that happened to Dr. Octopus with uh, the Sandman. Industrial accident, guy gets turned into what he turns into, and all that. I love the excuse, uh... There's a change in the silicon mass. That's probably a bird. It'll fly away when we fire it up. Initiating demolecularization. Yeah. Uh, Really? Really. Just just really. Um, Thomas Hayden Church plays uh, the Sandman. Here's a case of just miscasting gone horribly just ugh. Thomas Hayden Church is one of those guys that I love watching him in anything because he plays assholes so beautifully. He was Oscar nominated for Sideways where he did it great. Mm, yeah. In, in Sideways he was just this wonderful arrogant bastard and here he's playing a sympathetic nice guy. He's playing a devoted father and it doesn't work because you didn't cast the right actor. Now, if I'm remembering right, this is supposed to be the guy who killed his Uncle Ben, right? Yes, that's the idea that they came... That was another thing. There's this ridiculous doubling back on the idea... We thought that this man, Dennis Carradine, was your husband's killer. We were wrong. This is the man who killed your husband. It's a retcon. It is a retcon. Plain and simple. And this movie is just, man, this movie is overstuffed. This movie is a mess on a script level. What's funny is they had an extra year to do this movie than they did on the sequel, on the first sequel. And you know, that movie has a pretty tight script. It Every piece flows together and connects pretty nicely. Here, it doesn't. Oh, shit. You have uh, the Stacys thrown in there. Gwen Stacy, who does nothing. Her father, who does nothing. That's the thing that um, this film suffers from the most. There are too many things in play. Oh, absolutely. Then you... Oh, and we haven't even touched on Harry Osborne is now out for revenge. Oh, shit. I forgot about Harry Osborne. Yeah. Um, which, by the way, James Franco starts to show off in this movie that, hey, maybe we shouldn't take this guy too seriously. I, which ironically means that we have to start taking him very seriously. Yeah. He he starts to have some fun in this movie. Um, it's not for nothing that he wound up reuniting with uh, Raimi on Oz, the Great and Powerful. Oh no, yeah. Which, by the way, is a, I quite enjoyed that. By the way, I thought that was pretty good. Yeah, me too. Uh, he's fun in it, and here he kind of gets to do a little bit. Harry decides to play this part as uh, affably evil is the way that he does it. It, it it's fun. Uh, and I wasn't misspeaking when I said Harry plays the part 
because that is what the character does is at one point he's posing as good and but he's really evil and it's just okay and we haven't even touched on the symbiote that's the amazing thing is we're doing all this discussion we haven't gotten to the symbiote yeah which is like the big thing and here's the thing Raimi did not want to do Venom right did not want to do Venom at all the studio told him you have to do Venom there have been times that the studio has made a mandate on people, and it's worked out great. This is not one of those times. This could not be less one of those times. Venom, as the character of Venom, is only on screen for ten minutes out of the two and a half hours. Here's the sad part. Venom looks perfect. He does. He looks great. Uh, Topher Grace is actually a lot of fun as Eddie Brock. Um, mm -hmm. A lot of people said he was miscast. I didn't mind it. I liked that they were trying to do a mirror image of Peter Parker. Yeah, me too. He's good in it. He's he's a good Venom. He's fun. Uh, but the other thing about that is, even while he's in like the Venom thing, I won't call an outfit what it kind of is. The symbiote. The symbiote, yeah. For most of when he's like talking to people, he peels back the face to reveal <sighs> the... It's like, why don't you just do it as the Venom thing? Because that's the point. You've turned into Venom. You made me lose my girl. Now I'm gonna make you lose yours. How's that sound, Tiger? This is not. This is not when in the Marvel movies, where okay, yeah, the characters frequently go unmasked. No, no, I still need to see Venom as Venom. Venom can still talk as Venom. And then there's the evil Peter Parker stuff, which I'll say right now, I like. I actually like those. Really? Scenes. I, I I think those scenes are legitimately very funny. Okay. The scene where he's dancing as an, like an idiot, mm -hmm. what people forget about those scenes is you're not supposed to think he's cool. You're supposed to think he's a raging moron. Yeah, this is true. But you know what? Those scenes don't work at the same time because the scenes where he's being a, a horrible dick to Mary Jane, you're just like, I don't buy this. This is for you. Double time! Thanks. I get that it's supposed to be the symbiote influencing him. I didn't buy it. Yeah, that's the thing. Uh, it just feels out of place. That's why I didn't really care for those. It just feels out of place with the rest of it. And uh, it feels like Sam Raimi. I mean, that's one thing. Yeah. It feels like Sam Raimi, and that I have no problem with. But... But it doesn't feel like Spider-Man. It doesn't feel like Spider-Man, no. This, you know, it's funny. I, I talked about how the first two movies are dead on to the comics. They feel of the comics. This one doesn't. No. It, it, but it doesn't feel anything. It doesn't feel right. It feels confused. It feels bizarre. There are all kinds of things that are thrown in there that don't work. Like the idea that his uh, butler comes in and, te and tells Harry what really happened, and that makes him turn good. Except, how would the butler know? Right. If I may, sir, I've seen things in this house... I've never spoken of. 
The night your father died, the blade that pierced his body came from his glider. And why didn't you tell me this before? <laughs> I think Raimi's doubled back and said, well, no, it was a hallucination, and that it was just him himself telling himself that he knew the truth. Well, how did he know that? Whatever. Yeah. This movie is just, it's a disaster. This is the one more day of Spider-Man movies. It, this came out the same year, by the way, as One More Day, which, for those who don't know, One More Day, we're going to link to my review of it. It is a disastrous storyline in which Spider-Man's marriage is retconned out. Yeah, you you have uh, spilled your volumes of hate. It is the worst comic book story I have ever read in my entire life. And ironically, it leads to an amazing reboot. Incredibly, the comics after that are phenomenal. Hmm, interesting. I love the comics after it. They're, they're really good classic Spider-Man stories. This movie is as bad as that. This movie really and truly is as bad as that. Oh boy, that's saying something. Yeah, that's saying something because I, I have very vicious hatred for one more day. I think I remember in uh, one of our escapades, I found a copy of that and showed it to you, and you're like, we got to buy it and burn it. Yeah, yeah. Um, <laughs> I, so, yeah, no, uh, one more day is not going on the reading list, by the way. Uh, this movie's just, it's bad. So how do I say this? It's not the worst comic book movie that came out that year. Oh, shit. <sighs> Guys. <laughs> After all that vitriol. Yeah, I know, it's kind of amazing. I really spewed a lot on Spider-Man 3. Let's talk about Fantastic Four 2. Silver Surfer. Now, I don't have as much hatred for this movie as you do, because uh, I hate Spider-Man 3 more. But that's also because I'm not too familiar with the source material. Uh, I can get an idea. Like, I did read up on it before watching it this past time. Yeah. Here's the thing. You can't have as much hatred for this as I do, because that's not physically possible. I'm going to begin with a disclaimer. There exists a positive review by me of this movie out there somewhere. It exists. If you find it, you can shove it in my face that I said that. Here's what's important to stress. At that point in my life, I was going through a very violent stretch of depression. Some of the movies that I watched during that period, my reviews can be taken up to heart. Uh, if you see a positive review by me of Ratatouille, uh, rest assured, I'm going to stand by that one till the day I die. I was not, this was the first movie that I saw after a really violent incident of depression in my life. And I'm going open about this, you know. I was going through some bad things. Um, there had been some death, there had been some personal setbacks. So I was not in a good place in my life when this one came out. And it was nice to have some pretty colors on the screen. I've gone back and rewatched this movie, though, and... The only explanation is a mental lapse for having been positive to it, because this movie is an insult to the Fantastic Four. That's all that it is. It's an insult. 
Well, let's see it now. It's uh, based on Galactus. Yes. Even the name Galactus, even if you don't know anything about it, sounds epic. It sounds epic. It sounds world-inspiring. I mean, it's... The story, the original story runs three issues, 48, 49, and 50 of the original comic. Stan Lee, Jack Kirby. Um, great stuff. Great, great, great stuff. The storyline deals with, again, it's uh, Galactus. It's actually kind of the same storyline as this movie. The Silver Surfer comes to Earth to warn people about uh, his master, the uh, world devourer Galactus, who is coming. And that's 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 the or that's the uh, that's that's what the stories have in common. The story was told, as I said, in three issues. It was also uh, a key portion of Kurt Busiek and Alex Ross's classic Marvels, which tells the history of the Marvel universe through an ordinary person's perspective. Hmm. Marvels is one of my favorite graphic novels of all time. It's one that I force on people frequently. I've given it as gift before. I mean, I I believe in this one that much. When I think of how awe-inspiring that story is, this movie just gets it wrong on so many levels. Um, first of all, this is a slapstick comedy. Yeah. It, this is a very dumb slapstick comedy. I mentioned that I liked Chris Evans as the Human Torch last time. He's still okay, but he's a lot goofier this time. He doesn't feel as intelligently... Like, it was like, okay, the smart part of smartass is gone. Yes. Just an ass. He's just an idiot in this. There's the weird thing where his encounter with the Silver Surfer causes him to switch powers with people all of a sudden. I didn't get that. I didn't either. And the movie didn't really do anything with it either. No, because the Silver Surfer does come into contact with each of them, I think. And they don't get that. It, it, I, I, I don't get it. I don't think that the movie thought it through. No. The only reason they did that is so that they could um, have him absorb all their powers at once, even though all of them retain their powers after he does that. Well, no, because the thing goes back to being a normal human, so... Yeah, I guess that's true. He gives the powers back, yeah. but it's weird, and it's not thought through. I mean, this movie is a... Oh, it's 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 a re very badly written script. Uh, it's not as bad as on the script level in terms of everything not working as the previous film we just discussed, but it, it, it's it's very generic. It's also very classic military is evil and wants to get involved and yeah. of course their immediate instinct with the silver surfer is to want to capture him doom is so much worse here than he was in the previous film and i really hated okay. Doom in the previous movie speaking of silver surfer giving people unexplained powers what he does with doom is he basically heals his disfigurement so that doom spends the rest of the movie looking like a normal human being, but you know, still having Doom powers. This is not Victor Von Doom that we know and love. The Doom that I love from the comics, and he is one of my favorite villains, is pure, raw arrogance unbound. He is full of himself. He believes in himself too much. Everybody else is an idiot compared to him. He is a classic tyrant. And in this, he's just an asshole businessman. Yeah, pretty much. That's mm -hmm. it. Probably supposed to be a good guy, I guess. 
Even that's not really well played. No, this is not. This is smooth. Okay, I Doom. He he's goofy. Honestly, he really is kind of goofy in this movie. I don't. I don't get it. I just don't get it. There is an increased focus on uh, Sue Storm in this movie, who is getting married, and who can only care about her marriage, not the impending death of humanity as a species. Oh, absolutely not. Good, so then you'll build the sensor for us. We'll tie that to the... I'm afraid I can't. What? You see, I'm getting married this Saturday. I just don't have the time. So you guys can go fuck yourselves. You're all going to die! <laughs> that's right. <laughs> and that's not the character from the comics. The character from the comics could care less about the marriage if humanity is at stake. Right. That's the thing. The stakes have never been higher for one of these movies. That's what drives me nuts about this movie. The stakes are at their absolute highest. We're facing extinction. The movie doesn't have any sense of that. No. It's like, yep, shit happens. Yeah. And of course, uh, what happens after that, Sue Storm's like, yeah, that's right, you tell him. And then he, he builds it anyway on their wedding day. Uh, without her knowledge. I can't believe you actually brought that thing to our wedding. I know, but there's a good reason. We have to get through this quickly. Oh, that's romantic. No. Both of you suck. Yeah, uh, Reed Richards really does not get good treatment in this movie. No. There's like one or two scenes where he starts to show off the character that he actually is in the comics, but he's written... Here's the thing, pretty much everybody, and this happens a lot in the comics too, they write him as this asocial, just, loser, who is brilliant. And he's not. He's a genius who... He's Indiana Jones with stretchy powers, really, when you get right down to it. He's an explorer. Yeah. He's an adventurer. Mm -hmm. He's also a devoted family man. It's not an accident that he landed the hot chick. This movie... Okay, they get the Silver Surfer right. I'm going to give them that. I've got no complaints about how they handle him. But let's talk about the big problem of the movie, which is Fox wanted a spinoff. Yeah? They wanted a Silver Surfer spinoff. This is something that supremely confused me, because the way it ends is basically, like, Sue Storm is dying, Silver Surfer is like, okay, don't worry about it, I'll handle this, I'm just going to go confront Galactus. So at this point is a big cloud that devours planets. And that's all we ever see of him is a big cloud with hints that he might... That there might be something uh, more behind that. Basically, uh, the Sorcerer goes into this cloud like, I'm not going to work for you anymore. And then you see, like, we're going to post a picture of it. You see, like, a flash of lightning from within the cloud, and you see the shape of the classic comic book character Galactus. You see the shape of his head. I just love the design of Galactus. It's a great Jack Kirby design. Mm. And, I mean, this was Kirby at his Kirbyest, so to speak. I mean, I, I love Jack Kirby. I think his artwork is incredible. Did you get a hint of it? Just a hint. And it's, it's one of those things, if you, like, I know I didn't catch that the first time I saw it. Like, if you, if you don't know what you're looking for, you're not going to see it. Which, you know, would would be fine if that wasn't the entire point of the thing. 
but yeah, and then you see like a flash of light, and then the cloud is implodes on itself, and it's gone. What the hell happened? Yeah, the idea was that this would all be dealt with in the spinoff, which never happened. You don't do that. It ends. It ends with you see Silver Surfer floating through space, seemingly dead, and then he he opens his eyes, and then it's done. The movie. That was the movie for you people. Pretty much. And it's like, look, if you're gonna have a movie, make it self-contained. You know, make it so that, um, like, it's fine to leave questions. It is completely fine to leave questions. But don't make the question be the end of the plot of the movie you're in. You're gonna have threads to be left to be picked up for for a sequel. Right. But unless you're shooting, like, a Lord of the Rings situation where you've shot all three movies at once, you end your movie definitively. Exactly. You know, answer the big question. Answer the big question. What the hell is going on should not be a big question we're left with at the end of the movie. That's right. That is completely right. That is correct. And especially if the, you know, the sequel, or the spinoff slash sequel that you're wanting is not a certain thing. Yeah. And it... Uh, again, it didn't happen. They're rebooting the franchise right now. Um, now, are they doing it under Fox, or are they? Is it going to be... Fox? Fox. It's being happened at okay. Fox. Um, basically, they're doing it so that the rights don't fall into uh, Marvel's hands. Sucks. Yeah, but here we are. That sucks because Fantastic Four does kind of intersect with the Avengers. It does in the comics. They do frequently. Um, this movie again. I just, I don't know. I don't know how to, I don't know how to put it. This movie just annoys me. Yeah. It just annoys me. So, I mean, I just, what more do you say beyond that? It annoys me. And anyway, um, at this point in the genre, as I said, I feel like the genre was starting to hit a point of nadir. Fizzling out, yeah. This was not a good time for the comic book movie genre as we know it. As we're discussing it, I'm realizing it was 2000. At this point, you were really three years out from a really great Marvel Comics film. I like X Men Three, but as I said, there are there are issues with it, and there were issues that were starting to become clear in the genre. Something was going to have to change. There was a new impulse, a new spark that needed to be put into the genre. Mm-hmm. That needed to breathe life back in. Yeah, there needed to be something to change because, you know, at this point, the studio executives were starting to get a little too hands-on. You did have some sparks of life. Uh, Christopher Nolan was clinging on to uh, Batman over at DC and Warner Brothers. Yeah, that did that did happen in 2005, and that was a good thing. No, we, we pretty much tried to ignore what the distinguished competition has been doing. They were doing some stuff. They were doing some good stuff. But, you know, it was what it was. The, the genre, it needed a spark of life. It needed, it needed a change. It needed, it needed something new to, to happen in the genre. And when we pick back up, something new is about to happen. That new spark is going to come. To be continued. To be continued. We talked a lot today, and uh, as I said, we're not done. We're probably going to have a lot more to say coming up. This is part one of two. Yeah, I know. Between now and then, I'm going to marathon every single one of those movies. We'll be talking yeah. about. Yeah. Uh, because they, they're well worth it. Oh, yeah. 
So I guess we should talk briefly about what's ahead. Well, the answer is simple. Uh, we're doing the Marvel movies from 2008 to what was Friday for me. And by by the time we get around to recording it, I will have seen uh, Thor. It's awesome, by the way. I will give that heads up. I will give this heads up. It's going to be a happier cast next time. Um, thinking on it, there's only one of the movies that I'm really going to be uh, excoriating, and I'm going to excoriate the living hell out of it, so, you know. We're talking about Iron Man to Thor, as I said. Uh, Iron Man to Thor 2. We're talking about the birth of the Marvel Cinematic Universe is going to be the big focus of the next cast. Yes. Because that's the key thing that happened uh, in this period, is Marvel went into self-production. Oh, I'm so glad they did. And they had a neat little idea that we're going to talk about at length on the next cast. Oh boy, I love talking about this. This is The next cast is going to be just pure happies and rainbows aside from X-Men Origins Wolverine. <laughs> yes. Yeah, now there's no getting around it. Well, shall we do the wrap-up? You can email us with suggestions, comments, uh, hate at filmroompodcast at gmail.com. You can like us on Facebook. The link is facebook.com slash thefilmroom. We post all kind of reviews there. We post uh, cast updates, of course, and uh, we share any upcoming film news. Whew, and boy, there's a lot upcoming these days. Yeah, good time right now. So right. You can find us on Twitter at, at FilmRoomCast. Uh, our individual Twitters, I am uh, at PrimitiveManPRD. Austin is at UntitledUser. If you're coming at us from iTunes, yes, you can find us on iTunes. Uh, very, very convenient way to subscribe. Uh, you can find our source at thefilmroom.podbean.com. This is where we post the blog, the supplemental material. And, yeah, we don't skimp on the supplemental material. As I said, I'm going to be providing a reading list for each uh, one of these casts is the plan. My idea is that I'm going to be putting in just pretty much everything that I think is worth noting and worth reading. So, yeah, be be looking for that. Yes, and that's that's something I'm going to look forward to jumping on, too. Uh, now that I've found out that since going back to my library system, that they actually now have a robust comic collection. Yeah, uh, let, me, let me pause for a moment to say, uh, I'm in Little Rock, Arkansas, and you wouldn't, you wouldn't expect this from Little Rock, Arkansas. We have a just an absolutely staggering graphic novel collection at our library. I've actually sent an email of appreciation to the librarians there saying thanks, because not only do they have a graphic novel selection, they treat it as seriously as, okay, what's coming out? And then they get that in. They get in about 100 new graphic novels a month. That's pretty amazing. Now, that's across the whole library system. That basically includes everything that DC prints, everything that Marvel prints, a lot of the independents. If you want to read it, you can read it. I pretty much stopped buying graphic novels because of these people. Letter of endorsement here. That is, that's, that's amazing. That's above and beyond. Mm-hmm. Central Arkansas Library System, I have yet to make a complaint about, so, yep. Yep. We will be back. We shall return. It's going to be fun. I'm Austin Chin. I am Abel Wiltspaw. Excelsior, y'all.
We will return in Marvel number two 